Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, author Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as Pretty Ugly and the Hotel series. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, author of The Bourbon Books, which includes the award-winning novel Dibs, Since September, Move on Melinda, and Climb the Salmon Ladder. With us today, from jolly old England, right? You're in England? <laughs> is Sunny Dean, here to talk about her brand new release, The Book Eaters. Oh, welcome, Sunny, from almost tomorrow. Hi, it's good to be here at 11 at night. <laughs> Thank you for staying up late to talk to us because, I mean, you're drinking alcohol. I would be drinking about four Red Bulls to try to stay awake that night. So I feel like at 11 p.m., the vodka is almost like a Red Bull. Like it just gives you just up. enough. Like, <laughs> woo! all good. I needed finishing anyway. There's that much in the bottle, so it's fine. I love I love what you just said. It needed finishing, not like I should finish it or just like it needed it. You can't just have a little bit in a bottle. My so OCD need, would bother me. I, I need to finish that. Well, and I was joking. I took a picture when I was saying Sunny's going to be joining us, and I had this little picture of ink tea. <laughs> And here I'm drinking an orange Fanta, which is like as far from ink tea, even on the color wheel, and as classless as possible. I mean, I might as well be drinking Kool-Aid, but it, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's everything's good. I'd rather have vodka. So how about that? Right, this is marmalade vodka. It's what it says. Yum. Vodka that you kind of, you, you mature with some marmalade in it. You can make it at home. And I made it because my critique partner, Essa Hansen, sent me a cocktail book for my birthday. And like loads of them had marmalade vodka as an ingredient. And rather than pay for it, we just made some. So. Oh my gosh. Okay. First that off, sounds that delicious. Amazing. And at some point I need to have a conversation with her about no effect gloss and all of that. Cause she's like sci-fi guru and I love it. But I feel like that's the official drink of Paddington Bear fans because it's got marmalade. <laughs> and I used to get made fun of for wearing my Paddington Bear hat. That's why I no longer wear hats in public because my friends were like, you can't go to to the campus cafeteria with a Paddington Bear hat on. And this yes, is where you no can. Yes, <laughs> you can. If you were friends in college, you would have let me wear the hat. I think Sonia would have let me wear the hat. But my friends I would, yeah. would not have let me wear the hat. So. I'm upset that I don't have one of those hats right now. I don't have the hat anymore. Gosh. Well, anyways, this is this is taking a turn to vodka and Paddington Bear. There's no Paddington Bear in this book. There is lots of England, which I loved. There is ink tea. There is no vodka, really. I mean, try to remember what is Devin There's drinking? Vodka. He's drinking some hard stuff, but is it vodka? I felt like it was just it was anything vodka. cheap and in a paper she drinks vodka at one point. I think she so. yeah, did yeah. drink vodka at one point because I remember I was drinking vodka at one point, <laughs> and I was like, "We're the same." <laughs> So, Sunyi, thank you for being here. Tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about yourself and then a little bit, no spoilers, about the book Eaters, which Allison and I finished the other day, each of us. And we I think I wanted to actually consume the book. I know. And I'm like, an should is it I cake eat episode? It? Don't try to eat the book. It's oh, my gosh. You need to have somebody do an is it cake of your book cover <laughs> and then have, like, somebody fabulous. Or two fabulous people eat it. I kind of did a video of it, of like, um, 
an is it cake joke, I think, what, but it was like a year ago. And then I think my agent did do a video where she actually took a bite out of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was probably the book, not the cake. Uh, the proper book, yeah. And then she oh, lent yeah. it to one of her, her older kids and it came back with an extra bite in it as well, which is, I thought I was impressed by. Oh, so. That <laughs> is impressive because, you know, you don't, you don't have book teeth to do that. <laughs> yeah, so hi. I'm, I'm Sunny Dean. I'm an autistic fantasy writer. Um, I live, I was born in Texas. I grew up in Hong Kong and I now live in the UK. And I kind of write speculative fiction. And hang on, I'm going to bring this one in. <gasps> bring it in. She's, she's very sleepy this time of night. So, yes. Yes. She's so confused right oh, now. <laughs> Why am I on camera? For, for those of you just listening to the audio, yeah. there is a dog on the screen now. So, <laughs> okay. And at the bottom, as if you're watching or hearing, Sunny's website, if you go on it, I love the fact that you can subscribe to her dog letter, which is like a newsletter, but I think it's either written by or features your dog, which I think would probably increase everybody's <laughs> subscriptions. Uh, yeah. How I said, it's just it's pictures of my dog. Yeah, it's just pictures of Gwen because I realized I couldn't be arsed to do a real newsletter or put in proper work. I love, and so I love that. I love it. I mean, uh, I keep having people ask me why my dog doesn't have his own Instagram account. And I'm like, because if my dog had his own Instagram account, I would have no followers. Would I would have, I'd have like five book people, but everybody that follows me, it's like more Teddy, please. You don't want to hear about your book. Where's the white dog? Yeah. <laughs> funnily enough so i adopted gwen and she did actually have more instagram followers than me when i adopted her so <laughs> like i adopted a celebrity i didn't mean to do that but i know people i see their friends of mine on twitter who most of their book posts have the dog looking at their book and i'm going does the dog read the book and no one really cares the important thing is people stop and look because the dog's there and then yeah. subliminally the cover gets in there so i have no pets i have three children and i'm wondering if i should trade one of them in for a pet so that I can do that on Instagram. I don't know. Or maybe have one of them dress up like <laughs> a pet. No, I seriously, <laughs> I, I love them, but I don't put their faces on things that I can't control the audience. Oh. So I don't, I don't have that. And they really would like a dog. So I'm considering maybe just borrowing the neighbor's dog. I don't know. I it's have a dog mask I can send you. That <laughs> I'm sure. Which one wants to wear this? Well, yeah. My middle, my middle went through fox evolution while we were on vacation, and it's, <laughs> she's a kitsune now. So. Don't you need to get her animorph books. She is. She loves those, and she's uh, she has like five stuffed foxes as her little companions. So the fact that she wasn't dressed as a fox on her first day in fourth grade was like a big win. You're just was it a win? Day. I feel like that's the way to start fourth grade. <sighs> she picked her own outfit. It was fine. It was all good. It was fine. <laughs> so, Sunny, tell us a little bit about the book eaters. Besides Allison and I just saying, like, oh, I want to consume this book. I love. And we it will so not much. really eat it because then nobody else can read it. And I already have people who are like, "Can I have that one when you're done?" I'm like, "Get your own copy. Yes, I'll let you borrow it." <laughs> okay. Can we swear on this? Oh yes. yes. Okay, you know, that's what I was just going to say. So, so people who read the book eaters, people who don't like it would say it's kind of like a big clusterfuck. And then the people who do like it say it's like (laughs) weird in a good way. And I think they're both right. It's It's not a clusterfuck. It's a clusterfuck. (laughs) No, it's way First off, I've read clusterfuck. I just finished a clusterfuck. (laughs) I think you both messaged me going, what's the book about a clusterfuck of a book? Yours was not because it was way too well organized. (laughs) Had this thing called a plot. All the twists were believable. 
had characters I cared about. They <laughs> had a timeline that made had sense. Everything, everything worked. It. Like anybody who is like, this is a clusterfuck. I would like to say first off, the word is newt orgy, and second, <laughs> no, it isn't. It. It, yeah, it is just a lot going on, I guess. Um, and it's called the Book Eaters, and it's kind of about their society. But then the bigger story really is more about Devon and her son, and I think that really takes over. And in a way, like the, the Book Eaters, although they're weird, they're almost background. They're almost setting. Because um, to me, they're not really a story. They're like you can't make a story out of just these people existing. So they're there, and Devon is a book eater, and she's the main character, but her story is not really about eating books, although it's influenced by that, and it kind of informs everything. Well, I, <laughs> I love it because I'm, I'm laughing because you're like, oh, it couldn't be, and I'm going, have you read literary? Because you don't need a plot for that. Sorry, I'm still laughing at that. I'm looking at my rejections going, this is lovely prose. There's no plot here. I'm like, yeah, I knew I forgot something. Yeah. But you have a lot of plot, and yes, the background of the book eaters as a society I had no idea what I was getting into when I picked this up, especially because a while back um, they had had the thing on tour where you got the first little bit. And I'm like, oh, this is this is modern. Oh, I wonder what this is about. And then it's like this juxtaposition of these modern day characters who have this almost secret society that lives in plain view, but just kind of off the grid in various parts of England. And they are book eaters. And what is a book eater? OK, just let's be real little here. They eat books. <laughs> it's not it's not a metaphor for something and they eat books and just starting right at the beginning with oh the taste of that oh that the glossy pages <laughs> i loved how different things tasted i love there's a moment where somebody's like if you just add ketchup yes. i'm like <laughs> That hey solves guys. a lot of problems in, food in general. Just mix some ketchup with it makes everything better. <laughs> that, that, that yes, it's this background story of this society that's in decline and that doesn't really know what to do with itself. And different factions of the society are trying to figure out how to move forward as the society's in decline. And Devin's at that kind of what's a good word for it, like. Crush crossroads, all of crossroads. it. <laughs> yeah, crossroads. But 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 really, it's the tension point because mm -hmm. she can't just go along and get along. And the main reason is her son. And as someone who has written books about mothers and children and what mothers will do for children, I love that because we don't see kick-ass moms near enough. Like moms are always the mean old person controlling their lives and making it. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> we're either, either if in YA, we're almost always dead. So that's fun. Uh, fairy tales were always slept because the original mom also dead. Also, thank you. Yeah. Well, so I feel like in book readers, we did have a little bit of the element of the fairy tale mom because oh, all of the moms mm -hmm. are really only present for, you know, yes. a short period of time and then gone. Mysterious. Definitely doesn't know her mother. And yeah. she basically is like, you know, she grows up like a white heroine almost. She has no yeah. parents who acknowledge her. And so. she lives in like an old crumbling manor house yeah. with uh, very little supervision, even though her entire life is very controlled. So yes, she is, she is a YA heroine. Like all she <laughs> needed to do was, <laughs> she was a princess. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having flashbacks of that cartoon my kids were watching for a while, which made very little sense. Did you guys ever watch that? The Little Princess? It's... It's a little strange. I have a feeling her family could be book eaters too, because I don't really fully. <laughs> I saw that. the little prince and read the no, little prince. Very, very, very different, very different than that. 
it's it's one of those things I'm going, is there some Eastern European Willa Wonka action going here? What kingdom are you people in? I have no idea what's happening, but but I loved how like Devin is both ancient and modern and you had two timelines going on, which also I didn't I didn't expect going in. So I love that. But then I saw I think I think Essa said in her little review that it is dual timelines. I'm like, okay, not a spoiler, that's something. So you're yeah, having yeah, at present with how she got there, which I really appreciated. So there was the tension in the moment, but then also telling us, and here's how we got here. And this is why things are really fucked up for Devin. Sorry, <laughs> Devin, things are not looking so good. But I think British society is very classist and, and people here are very aware of it. So I think there's something there as well where, like, on the one hand, like if you read a lot of Agatha Christie, they're always about these up, upper class kind of posh people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side, you have like I guess train spotting. If you've ever seen that, which is like <laughs> this is pretty much <laughs> what Americans just think of the UK is either it's a tea party or it's a heroin addict. Yeah, so it's like either, the, the it's only either, difference. It's Downton Abbey. It's Downton Abbey or no, train spotting. Yeah. I mean, there is yeah. I mean, there is kind of that divide though. Like there, there really is. Like you, there are very posh parts of the UK, and then like I live kind of in the inner cities where it's just very very different from <laughs> it's not a tea party and it's not follow um <laughs> and I guess I want to reflect that a bit um because I've basically always lived in slightly grotty areas of Leeds so nice no I love it I love it actually um it's not pretentious and the, the people are really nice but you know, but that's different. the thing. As Americans, we don't we don't think about. And I know one of my one of my best buddies. She was talking about how she is a writer from the north, and it is not mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones reference, despite what people think. Over here, I'm going. I don't even understand what that means. And her having to explain how it's it's different over there, and that there's just even regional differences that I think we're like. But England's only this big. How can you have regional differences? Because we're <laughs> a lot more spread out. But but that there are those differences and that there are economic differences and not just the different accents, which we only know from watching Doctor Who. Mostly that's how we know who wears like, oh, when she's Welsh. All right. That's fine. Uh, but we I learned my accents from Mary Poppins. So oh, it's basically totally a, a chimney sweep and um, and children. That's it. And Dick Van Dyke's American. So that doesn't even I know. I know. <laughs> which is probably why my Cockney accent is terrible when that's, I try to do yeah. it. Well, and, and if, Kate, if you started in Texas and then went to Hong Kong, what is your accent now? Because that is that is a really big jump from Texas to then end up. You it's sound kind of transatlantic, I guess. Um, so I kind I kind of studied accents. This is really weird, but but um, here when I went to university for my master's, I ended up studying at York, and, and the the focus was basically accents and dialects in the UK. Cool. Um, Very cool. <laughs> and the UK has one of the most like big like one of the biggest varieties of accents in that small landmass. Um it's just very, very odd in that way. But yeah, my my accent is all over the place. Um I did have a Texas accent once and I think I kind of took it out back and drowned it in a well because it's got a <laughs> negative <laughs> No, it does though, you know, and just it's got such a stigma of like, oh, you got that accent, you must be like unintelligent or something and yeah. I don't know yeah and it's, it's terrible just- because because there are people and we have the issue here where you have politicians where when they're addressing their, a certain crowd they put on the thick accent and then they drop it when they go somewhere else like could you just talk how you always talk because then it becomes this affectation instead of this thing where they're actually trying to connect with people it's like a show and it becomes ridiculous but yeah. 
I don't blame you for maybe wanting to say, maybe this isn't something I want to have as part of my. Your brand. <laughs> That's fair. And my, my sister, like we, we were born in Pennsylvania, raised in California, and she now lives in Texas. She does not have an accent, but she's in an area where nobody's from Texas. They're all transplants. So it's like, okay, you probably still sound Californian because you're surrounded by other Californians. And we just sound like Valley Girls. <laughs> I have to turn that off when I'm not paying If anybody also, notices they like too much, that's I mean, British swearing is like amazing. It's like, like it's really like yes. next level. And it just it's an art form. Right. It's like a painting to me. Like I yes. just love it. Like, and every time I watch like a lot of like British television or we'll just say when I watch The Boys, um, yeah. I find myself <laughs> elaborately swearing like in the worst way. And, and, it just and, doesn't work in an American accent. You just it can't doesn't. do it. So it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a show when I was when I was there in London a million years ago, and the it was they were Irish, but the line was "Ah, for fuck's sake!" And I'm like, that's the best phrase ever, and I would just like to use it all the time, and I can't because I'm not allowed to run going "Ah, for fuck's sake!" But I liked it so much that and someone yelling at someone else in the theater door, "Oh, you rude cow!" Which I just thought was amazing too. <laughs> like rude yes. cow is like the rudest thing ever to call somebody, but it's just calling yes. the cow. And then cow can also be endearing as well, which is really odd. You can say, oh, that oh, was endearing. Cow. Or you can say, oh, that poor cow. And that's like, it, that's not rude. And then like rude cow is really rude. So, <laughs> And honestly, cows are just so lovable. I hate that they have this bad rap. It's like, oh, if you call somebody a cow, it's so bad. And like you see a cow and I'm like, it's just trying to live its best life. It's got its giant eyelashes. Cows are lovely. Yeah. But again, that has so nothing to do with your book. I'm trying to like get us back somewhere from where we steered off. <laughs> yeah. But, so you, know, you said it was a clusterfuck. This interview might be. This interview is <laughs> our interviews. That's what we're known for. Is our all over the clusterfuck. Place. I guess so, it felt like a clusterfuck writing it, and it has lots of different elements, and it kind of goes. It borrows from different genres and stuff. And I think. Well, let's talk about. Like, let's yeah. talk about the writing process, because like, that's what our show is, is we talk about the writing yes. process, not about how like, oh, and then this beautiful, amazing book that's going to be a huge hit just popped out of me, fully formed, printed, like, fully formed. Which is um, the one that came out of Zeus's head, like a full, I always get that one wrong. Is it Athena? Like Athena. Yes. Athena. Okay. Yeah. I, my, Greek, my Greek mythology is mostly from Xena, warrior princess, it's not to be trusted. Zena is not con. but is I, she historically accurate? Probably not. I did a tango routine, an Argentine tango routine. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just have to say this with um, uh, a same-sex uh, partner for a competition, and we were dressed like Zena and Gabrielle. Which one were you? Because you're short. Uh, I was Zena, but you're short. So how tall was Gabrielle? She was, she was shorter. Yeah, she she was little. She was little, but yeah. Um, but and and I I had the Xena wig already and, and an outfit. <laughs> of course piece. you did. <laughs> do you want so to make make the ululation? Can you do that? No. Oh, <laughs> I thought I'll probably blow up my mic if I try. But I, I love that you did that. But all I've seen. So, so, so you, like what came first like what where did this start did you come up with the idea of somebody eating a book or did you think of like I want to write a speculative fiction dark fantasy fairy tale did you look up the term book eater on urban dictionary and see that it actually means something very different wait it does should I look that up 
I looked it up like a year ago. <laughs> I will look it up later. Somebody, if anybody's watching, knows the dictionary. No, so I had before we even before I knew anything about your book, I saw that you got the deal, and I was like, book eaters, what a great name. Looked it up, and then I was just like, oh. <laughs> Is that what her book is about? Um, <laughs> no, it would be fine. It's just somebody who derives, um, they can only climax when oh. either reading or thinking about books. <laughs> so that wow. is not what this book is about. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, sexuality is a key element of the book, and I do love the LGBTQ plus rep you have in this, but it's not factoring in literally to the book eater part of it. So guys, get your heads out of here gutters <laughs> especially you jen i know me I it's know. me <laughs> yeah so i guess the the first bit of it came i think some of the the, the the i like the aesthetic was always there i remember watching this really obscure cartoon in the 90s called gargoyles which has uh, that's yes. not super obscure it has all the stng cast right. in it it's where they all went after they're showing up like we're gonna go be gargoyle and there's an episode where merlin the sorcerer eats the book to get into avalon and it's such like an amazing image where he eats it to gain its power and stuff and i think i just always remembered it there's there's a manga series called book eaters um there's a kind of some japanese yokai who like eat books and they have like a pet poet that they sponsor a kind of thing to write them <laughs> <laughs> right, the fiction of poetry. Um, but also, I think I remember seeing on Twitter someone saying that, like, oh, vampires are completely done. There's nothing new you can do. You can't make them original. And, and it just you said, hold my beer. <laughs> hold because, my marmalade, yeah. water, please. <laughs> you know, we only ever show, like, Dracula is like kind of one type of European vampire. There are loads of mythologies, loads of different types of vampire. And it just, I remember thinking, like, no, no, you can do loads of things with them. And it just kind of all came together very slowly. Um, first in a short story about this guy who meets a mysterious woman online, and he's like a poet, and she's obviously a book eater, and it doesn't go well for him. It doesn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's a, a short story. But basically in that version, like, when she eats his poetry, she takes away his ability to create writing. Um, oh. And he's just kind of... I don't know, and it just it changed and it grew. And I think after the first book that I had in submission died horribly in a fiery death, um, and I was flailing around trying to write the next one. And the, the epic fantasy that I'd been trying to work on wasn't going anywhere. And I just kept I don't know. I felt drawn to this one. I thought, oh, you know, it'll draw on fairy tales, which I know a lot about. Um, it'll be fun. It'll have all the pop culture references that I enjoy doing. Uh, it could just be a thing. So I just went with it and it just developed and expanded. And there were a lot of times where I thought I'm never going to finish this fucking novel because it was... Um, it I feel like we've all felt that. Yeah, it started out with a vibe, not a plot. So it took a while so to make the plot work. That's how we write. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. It's like, I have these feelings. Am I supposed to put words to that? I know. Like, like, it's just like a, like a weather in a building. Mm -hmm. like, it's, it does it need to be more than that? Maybe yeah. like it have to happen. Can't they just drink coffee and talk? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I've, <laughs> I've written several throws. books that are just people drinking whiskey and like wandering around a, an abandoned house. And I'm I like, would do that. That's, that's probably I need to be able I do like that. And therefore I go, I don't see the problem with what I'm doing when there's no block here. I know. And then, like, my agent reads my book and she's like, um, so when does the plot start? And I'm like, oh, didn't, didn't add one. And then it'll I'll go back and add one. <laughs> 
I'll admit to being a bit mercenary as well because, um, you know, when you watch a book Dawn's Mission, it's very disheartening. And I've spent a lot of time reading thrillers, which are the, the bigger sellers, you know, sci-fi mm-hmm. fantasy have a very small slice of that pie and looking at what they did. And they, they really kind of go places, I think, that a lot of fantasy and sci-fi don't in terms of their, their focus of the story. They focus on the reader experience over mm-hmm. the, the hero's journey and stuff like that. So it just all came together from those different things. And yeah. <laughs> My husband's never going to watch this, so I can just say, first off, I'm really over the hero's journey. I don't need to keep going on <laughs> over and over again, because after a while, it just feels like a Ferris wheel, and then I start getting nauseous. So we're going to just put that aside. Second of all, the fact that you do have an amazing plot that starts like, right at the beginning. There's, there's no slow buildup to stuff. I mean, I don't want to spoil even what happens in the first chapter, but you don't waste any time getting into the nitty gritty of what's happening. And then, like I said, with the Jules timeline, we can kind of say, okay, well, how did we get here? And okay, what's happening now? And who is she working with and what is happening and what is her goal? And is that goal changing? There, there's a lot of plot for a book that you didn't start out with a plot to. So yeah. well done. It did all come together. <laughs> and longer, so be it. Cause I know there are people who expect, especially people who are like on the indie side of things where they expect you to yeah. just kind of birth out a novel every couple of weeks as if it's just, an essay that you're turning in for I had to hit 500 yeah. extra words. credit yeah. yeah and that's that's not how I could possibly write and so I, I know that for me when things are taking longer I have to give myself that grace because I know I've looked at my work when I've just been like must hit deadline mm-hmm. whether it's real or imagined and my work's not so good when I do that so <laughs> thank you for taking longer on <laughs> no, it's right. yeah I think I think there's no point worrying about things you can't control. And one of the things I can't control is I can't write very fast. So if I can't write fast, then I feel like I should make the time worthwhile, if that makes sense, and just yes. work in. Because it's like it is legitimate to like write very quickly and produce a lot of novels, but it's just not ever something I could manage. So there was no point worrying about it. I think there's people who can, and that's their process. And if you gave them longer, they wouldn't necessarily produce a, a better book. That's just like their process is what it yes. is, and it works right. for them. But I feel like every author we talk to has a slightly different process. And I've talked to some who are like, yeah, I go through seven different versions of the book until it's actually done. Mm-hmm. And I hear that and go, am I doing it wrong? Because I mine is basically the version it is that even the <laughs> book that I have that also died a very sad death on sub and then, you know, kind of got kicked in the swamps of eternal sadness and just got left there. It was very similar. The, the edits were minimal before it went on sub. And then I went and I did an R&R that was considerably less than what a lot of people do when they first signed. So it's like, all right, I guess mine just kind of comes out closer to being done. And if it isn't, it's because it's unsavable. So there's, there's another, <laughs> but that's, that's just it's like, just everybody yeah. Yeah, so I hate drafting. Uh, I know, I think, I feel like people tend to either love drafting or love editing. Very few people hate both or love both. Um, <laughs> they hate both or the wrong business. I'm like, then yeah. there shouldn't be a writer if like they hate doing. both of those. <laughs> I, yeah, I hate drafting. So for me, drafting is like I write bullet point, almost sketches for a chapter, and then I just mm-hmm. edit it over and over until it becomes prose. If I sit down and try, so Essa, my critique partner, you know, when she sits down to write a chapter, she just writes it. It comes out as prose, and I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. So um, it's just very different, isn't it? So it's so different for every person. (laughs) It's funny that you guys are paired together when your processes are so opposite. And I think I also have partners who are like that, where they're the ones who are like me. I'm one track, and I can't, I can't move on to something else till I finished. And when I've tried, I get really screwed up. And then I have the ones who literally send me copies. And if Abigail, if you're watching. 
This is another new thing. I have no self-control. That's actually how she labels documents she sends me because she just starts and starts and starts. And she's like, I'm going to finish this one. I'm like, yeah, you need to actually finish one of these books because she has agent interest in her ideas. So she needs to finish them. But I'm like, how do you even hop between these? And she's just, I can't do that. But everybody, I wish I could, because it would really (laughs) help when you get to that point, like just when you're writing, when you're like Mm -hmm. stuck or you're just like, I don't, I've written myself into a corner and it doesn't make any sense. I don't know, Sunny, if you've ever like done that where you're like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if I can save it. I've got to walk away for a little while. That's, that's me. That's how I write. I just write and write and write until I'm like, and it makes no sense. Take a couple weeks off. (laughs) If you ignore it, maybe it will fix itself. Yeah. Edit on its own. Like it just kind of the last couple chapters just fade away. I would love that. (laughs) Can that happen? (laughs) No, No, and I've I've had that where I'm just like, why isn't this working? This is the wrong chapter. This is not what should happen here. And then I just have to delete the whole scene. And then I'm just like, but then as soon as I'm done, I'm like, oh, this wasn't supposed to happen. And then move on. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes sometimes you have to. But so you tell us about the first book, the one that you said that died horribly on sub. I'm sorry to kick your poor dead horse because it was a lovely dead horse. Was it a different genre then? Was it more of an epic fantasy you said? Okay, so the very, work on the very first book um, yeah. was not fit for Man or Beast and no agents liked it. So I think it had in like the region of a, uh, 130 rejections or something. So that, yeah, that one was like- Which For people office. listening, that is a normal amount of rejections. Yes, from, the fact that you've got rejections versus being ghosted is even better, but maybe you're counting the being ghosted. Oh, no, I'm, ca- yeah, I'm counting the ghost, sorry. Just oh, either okay, cool. rejections or no one ever applied. So that one was like an epic science fantasy. It had five point of views. It was all over the place. It just had too many ideas. Uh, I've heard from other writers that sometimes their first book is it's like not functional, but it has like- all their ideas it's like an ideas pool and I think that's Mm -hmm. what happens so it had all these ideas that just couldn't fit together in a plot the second one was yeah it was kind of contemporary fantasy that's the one that found me an agent um and it was it was fun but the world building was not working and the plotting wasn't there uh and this one I really tried to concentrate on the world building and the plotting a bit more and kind of pull that together um uh, well you did well yeah, like, I, I really created an amazing world. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was a mess, to be honest. But then my editor stepped in. So when it went on submission, I mean, the pitch letter for that novel is so different to the final <laughs> thing. Like, the, the pitch letter addresses people called the Sabbatarians, who are not in the final book that's been published. So, like, we rewrote a full third of that through edits. Oh boy. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot. I, I, cause you and I were communicating back then before it sold. So was this the book that sold on auction? Um, It's it's sold on on auction on the UK side, but it was like a really small auction. Auction makes it sound really exciting, but it was like it was exciting for us to watch. <laughs> it's exciting for us to watch. Well, because I remember the story gave a lot of us who had books that didn't do well. The first one on sub, it yeah. gave us hope because like the first one was. But look how fast the second it was like snap, like it was it was a fan of snap that you've got a that you've got a deal for this, and it was like oh my gosh, it's so fast. So that that cracks me up then to hear that. Then they had you rewrite a third of it to do all that because yeah. I, I mean I, I have friends on sub who were like yes and. They, they didn't like this tiny element, so they're like, no, instead of offering to make changes or have an R&R or something. So 
that's that's crazy that they had to change so much of it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's partly editor based. So mm -hmm. that so that particular editor, Lindsay, what what I've encountered of her other authors, they often she seems to take on a lot of project books. Um, so I think she also did Melissa Caruso's, which went on oh. sub as a YA historical fantasy. And that's and then, the Obsidian Tower. Is that hers? No. So oh, well, that is hers. But she's done uh, the Tethered Mage was the one that she went on oh, sub. Okay. And that's the one that Lindsay bought, actually. And it came out as an adult secondary world fantasy, having gone on sub as YA historical. So, you know, I think she does. She, I think some editors, like, they buy for voice almost mm -hmm. um, yeah. or concept or vibe. And then they work with you. And then some editors are like, no, I want this oven ready, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really does vary. And, and it's funny yeah. because. Because I've talked to other authors who I, I know when I talked to Shelley Parker Chan, her book, She Who Became the Sun, that was pitched as historical. And then they're like, by the way, it's fantasy. And she's like, okay. So she had to go back and add this whole oh, element okay. of fantasy. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. But I had friends who are like, you know, I, I was going to it expecting a fantasy. And it really felt more like a historical. I'm like, well, here's the thing. It this was. is exactly <laughs> why. And the fantasy for me, I loved it. But I also wasn't reading it just to get it as a fantasy, if that makes sense. So like expectations, if you're expecting yeah. something that's going to be an over-the-top fantasy, where it's like, no, this is really grounded and really felt historically accurate to that yeah. era, rather than some completely like, well, yes, it has a flavor of Chinese history, but it's complete, but everything's everyone's <laughs> writing about dragons and like shooting lightning bolts out of their eyeballs or something. I think that's what they kind of thought they were getting into. It's like, no, no, that's not. Yeah. What well, I feel like that's what people just like, you know, I'm not everybody, but people, if you say the words fantasy, they yeah. think right away, swords, dragons, mm -hmm. game of Thrones. Um, yeah. And like, I'll say like the book eaters felt very, very grounded in reality. Oh, yeah. Like, cause you did create, <laughs> a pitch perfect world that mm -hmm. made sense. I never, I mean, it's people eating books for fuck's well, sake, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> but I never felt like it was weird. I was like, well, no. of course they are. It's Technically, there's no magic in the book. So it, it's yeah. fantasy, but then it's like not really at the same time. Um, I, I mean, I think it's science because you even have some some science as like maybe this is why things are the way they are. Like you don't, you don't fully give a hey this is the the magical fairy dust reason for things. So you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't have that real fantasy, like over the topness to it. Like, I don't know. I don't know a better way to put it for people who are like, Oh, I don't like fantasy because it doesn't feel real. This feels super fucking real. So, Sometimes too real. Sometimes <laughs> real. I, I was very invested. I had to like, <laughs> like my anxiety went a little like bonkers <laughs> Sorry. in a good way. In a good way. Um, like when I'm, really into a book and really invested. Like I always tell people, I'm like, you want me to be like, should I take a Xanax? No, I'm fine. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I like to read. Like if I was going to eat a book, it would be a book like that. Something that would like get my blood pumping. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I think people have, like Jen said, people have really warped expectations when it comes to what fantasy is because it is such a huge genre and so it's not like all fantasy has the same stuff and this absolutely was fantasy because as far as I know and I could be wrong there are no actual book eaters or any other concepts you present in here and they were terrifying and beautiful and amazing so therefore yes it's very much a fantasy but if you're expecting like there's no Narnia and we're not running around Fillory and further. And so the fact that we're running and trying to catch a train to London and how much, how much money do you have on your body right now? 
those are real things. And for me, that raises the stakes because there isn't the whole, well, I'm just going to call my wizard and just solve things. And the yeah. eagles take us everywhere. And then I drop the ring in the fire. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fine. Well, you can have no magic fantasy. And that's probably my favorite subgenre. I think a lot of the books I love are like no magic fantasy, but it's a bit, a bit niche. It I is. would probably call it speculative fiction. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Claire North books. She writes mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, they're sort of modern day or historical, but then they're like, there's a fantastical element basically. Um, I and it's, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, that's, and that's my favorite too. And I, I it's funny because like, I say, oh, I write speculative fiction. And then that's not necessarily something people understand because then you pull the Venn diagram up of what speculative is and it's, it's it's a clusterfuck is what that is because it's all over the place and horror is considered speculative and there's all this stuff and I don't stay in one lane either so it's hard because I know what I wrote before was I thought I'm like this is science fiction meets fantasy because I really am like it's fantasy pretending it knows science that's that's what it was hey that's how I live my life I know. I pretend I know science. I'm a scientist. And then because there was a lot of biology in it and it was accurate biology. And then I just, I'm like, I don't really care anymore. I'm going off the rails. But then it was like, oh, it's literary science fiction. And we lose that fantasy element. And for me, like, but don't lose the fantasy because it was fantasy. So it's kind of like how there it's the, the science fantasy that that's a genre that no one ever talks about. And I've never seen an agent list like science fantasy as what they're looking for. But I know there are a lot of us who want to read it. So speculative seems to cover all of these sins. Like it just- covers a lot of things. And I think uh, the term speculative fiction is a lot more palatable for people mm-hmm. because you can say, I write speculative fiction. And then the people who are like, well, I don't read fantasy or I don't read horror might go, oh, I'll, I'll at least pick it up and see that James Rollins called it the debut of a new master <laughs> of modern fantasy, you know, <laughs> right on the cover. But yeah, people... People I definitely take perverse pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely take perverse pleasure in telling people, no, no, it's definitely fantasy if they if they enjoyed it. Because my age, my editor actually said early on, she's like, oh, this is this is fantasy. People who don't like fantasy, and I was thinking, I kind of don't like those people <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> no, because you know when you get people who are like, oh, no, I'm too good for fantasy. It's all shallow mm-hmm. and stuff. I think, oh, and then you just know, get they don't. And that's that's usually it. And, I, you know, I run into the same thing and I've had people say, oh, my romances are romances for people who don't like romance. And I'm just thinking you guys clearly don't like maybe what you don't like is you don't like cliches or you don't like. I think that's books. the thing, because I know and that's I've, exactly it. I've said, oh, I don't like romance, but I I love love stories. So right. it's like so it's not it, it's tropes. And, I, it's and tropes. I, I've been one of those people that's like, I don't really like fantasy. And what I'm really saying is sometimes my attention span is not good enough for like a book that's a thousand pages and has a bunch of different worlds. And then I'm just confused. (laughs) Well, that's true. A lot of people, if if you need to have a glossary and a map to even understand first chapter, I mean, I've talked about the rule of five before. And I, I love that the whole idea of you don't introduce more than like five new characters or new ideas per page. And it really should be more than like, two or three pages because otherwise you overwhelm the reader. And I've, I've read that even like as a beta where there's like all these names going on and I'm going, huh? And it doesn't even have to be just strange names, even just five different guys. And I'm going, I don't know what's happening here. And I'm, 
I'll go write a chart down. And maybe I just don't have a good enough attention span to follow it. But because if you start with real world based fantasy, like we have, we start with, with Devin walking in trying to buy some stuff from like a mini mart, basically. I think most of us have experienced that. So we're like right there with you, Devin, what are we buying? Damn it. She got carded. Okay. And I really, I really loved Devin as a character. I just felt like I really related to her and I'm not a mom. And you're not like six foot tall. She's really I'm not tall. six feet tall, but I do wear a lot of black. You do. Um, I, you know, probably also would have gone to a bar with Hester. Yeah, you would. <laughs> like, Sydney, are you, are you, are you rather tall? I've never seen you next to something. No, as a, I'm, like for scale. Average. I'm five, four. I just get fed up sometimes with like books where all the women are like five foot and nine yeah. pounds. And it just drives me nuts. It's like, like I, I, you know, I'm kind of probably 150 pounds, and I'm always been built solid, and I just think I could break all these teeny tiny heroines. So, <laughs> sorry, that's really horrible. Like, I said, no, like, <laughs> hello, you little princesses. Let me just snap you like a twig. I have, I have this kind of persistent like suspicion that if I was six foot tall, men would take me more seriously, mm-hmm. and I think it would be really cool to be really tall. Yeah, you're talking to two women who are five two. Five two. <laughs> yeah. my, my two. My two writing partners in real life are also five two, and we joke that we're three owls in a trench coat. That if you stack us up, we're tall enough to be taken seriously, but individually, we're just like we can't reach the things on the top shelf. No. And but I just I like that because it it was such a good visual about who she was and her aesthetic and her boots. And I'm like, I want boots like that. My boots have fallen apart. <laughs> yeah. I loved her boots. I, I loved it when she wasn't wearing shoes too. Why like, oh, was she not wearing you. shoes? And Devin still doesn't have shoes. She needs to be wearing shoes for this next scene. <laughs> or she will probably be looked at like, why is this woman not wearing shoes? <laughs> Which is something I think is great because I feel like there are a lot of times when people don't catch details like that. Like, oh, someone left suddenly from someplace. Don't have shoes. It's like, oh, when did, they have when did they get shoes later on? And a lot of authors just lose that. I know for me, like I'm really big on object permanence. Like where is something left? Yeah. If someone came in holding two things, I know I had to like rewrite a scene at one point because I had a character holding a towel and a bottle of bourbon and then they were touching somebody like they have to put those down first and then they do that and then they got to pick them back up again. Otherwise the objects just, Gone. They float away. I'm bothered by <laughs> other people probably don't care, but I'm like, excuse me, where is the towel? <laughs> it's on the floor. So, Sunny, before we finish up today, um, what are you working on now? Are we allowed to ask? Is there no, going to be a sequel are. to this? Um, no, no, it's fine. You are allowed to ask. So, I think Tor had this fear that it would if they just let it become a series out the gate that would set the tone for like, I guess a career and it would become like Dresden files, the Devin mm-hmm. and Hester edition um, every week. <laughs> kind of, no, and I get it. And as well, so they, they didn't envision it as a series. And I was honestly relieved because I was so tired of working on that book. Um, but I am contractually tied into basically two more standalones. At some point I want, I would like to come back and wrap up loose ends, but that's probably going to be, after two books have been and gone <laughs> sorry uh yeah so the next book is really different i missed writing a book with humor because the book eaters is so heavy in places it, it still has humor but you're right it's heavy and it's dark and it's yeah, 
He has less humour than I guess I like. Um, I don't know. I've, I was reading books with a lot of humour this year, like Black Tom Thief and um, Kings of the Wild, which are just kind of really funny. I thought they were really funny anyway. <laughs> well, and, so and, I, and I love, I think humour and fantasy are a rare combination. I don't know if you've read Feral Creatures, Kira Jane Buxton's book. No. I, mean, I, I loved it. And the main character is a Cheeto eating crow. So <laughs> that's the tone for you right there. And he's the protagonist. So highly recommend that one if you're looking for fantasy yeah, okay. humor. But it's it's often like, no, we have our swords and we're being very serious here right now. <laughs> yes. Because it's usually like the fate of the world is at stake. I know, but it doesn't always have to be. And I'm also, I'm a champion for stories where it's not always like end of yes. the world because I feel like that's cheap after a while like we can't everything can't always be the apocalypse guys it's not always the apocalypse sometimes, sometimes the apocalypse it is inside you I was gonna say <laughs> it's apocalypse. still an apocalypse but it's it's in here right. it's right. in here yeah sometimes it is the friends we made along the way um so so Cindy you're writing something that's yeah more sorry uh, sorry, the next one is like a, it's a kind of historical fantasy and it's set in like 1960s post-war Hong Kong after World War II. Oh, nice. In the walled city and there's kind of like ghosts and an, an exorcist who's a British yes. exorcist. Yes. So we'll see how that goes because I want that. It's fun. Yeah. I would like to eat funny. that book. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is more lighthearted. This thing is funny and then you just gave all that. I'm like, I need to see all that go again. Yeah. No, I just I think often sometimes like Asian literature can be a bit serious or it has a reputation for being tragic almost. And oh. I think actually Chinese humor is really rad and funny and slapstick and it can be good. And it's not like a comedy book, but just a little bit of that humor to it. Like <laughs> have some levity. It doesn't all have to be. And yes. we're crying. Go weep for <laughs> <Yes>. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that sounds fantastic. I can't wait. I know it's probably not going to be out for a while, considering like, the book readers out literally, right it's out now <laughs> in the UK, like right this second. Um, so, well, we will wait with bated breath for the <laughs> next book. Sunny, <laughs> thank you probably. for being here. Yep, we can chew on this literally and figuratively until <laughs> until the next book is out. Pass this on to a friend, and they'll be like, "You were chewing all over." Like, why are the corners wet? <laughs> oh, good luck getting a UK copy. Um, I think my favorite of the editions is one that I can't even talk about yet, but it'll <gasps> be in there in September. Oh. I, I think I know a little bit about it because I have a friend and they're like, mine's coming in September. I'm like, oh, nice. So like, well, as soon as you get it, read it because I want to talk to you about it. So, yes. <laughs> so thank you, Sunny, for being here. Thank you, Allison, of course. And everybody who is tuning in live or tuning in on the replay, make sure to leave us a review on Facebook. Um, it can just be a star or whatever. Just say like uh, how much you love us. We would appreciate that. Um, and we will be back next week, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific with my agent and best-selling author, Paula Mounier, to talk about her book, The Wedding Plot.